0: Hey my friend, this is Joe Bakhmotsky, and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. On today's show, I'm talking to Carly Fluma. And Kali is an incredible advocate for young adults going through cancer. And today, Carly shares her social media strategy of how to not only to really find out as much as you can about your cancer and available treatment and how to live a better life beyond cancer but also how to connect with other people who can support you by going through that experience and how to share your story in an authentic way that is true to yourself and your values and your way of life as you are going through cancer. Hey, Kali, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for being here. Kali. I want to start with the point where when you get hit with cancer, because such a turning point in our lives and you get kind of this swelled up in all of this emotion and it's it's your life turns upside down so when you found out that you were diagnosed with cancer how did make how did it make you feel
1: so i was diagnosed when i was 27 so that's coming up on four years ago and it's a whole story about how it was found but it was found kind of by mistake. It was found because of a scan for another issue that I had. And so I, you know, it wasn't something that I was expecting. I don't think that it's something that anybody expects, but I certainly did not expect this to come into my life at this time. And so I I don't think I was very um, scared, so to speak, because I was very lucky in that I didn't have any symptoms. And so, yeah, I uh, I was more along the lines of this is now a part of my life and something that I have to deal with. And we're just going to take it from here and do what we can for treatment and hope for the best. And I think that's still my attitude today And I think that is what has got me through my journey so far. And having cancer, I would say the mental part of it is half the battle. And so if you have a positive attitude, at least some of the time, then it makes it a little bit easier as you go through each part of your journey through treatment into remission.
0: Yeah, that's great Kyle. I'm so relieved to hear that you kind of managed to turn it around and make it into something that uh you felt like was kind of almost a, a experience that you were in control of and that you've found something positive to keep you going. W- what do you think someone can do, in you know, order to find that strength, to find that positivity, to get into that frame of mind?
1: I would say um, find a doctor that is really, I guess, on your level of comfortability. And what I mean by that is finding a doctor who understands you and takes the time to get to know you as an individual patient and not just, you know, uh, I guess, one, one on their schedule. And so I would say get to one that gets to know like your lifestyle, your family life, What are your morals and values are, because especially for somebody my age, quality of life is something that really matters um, because I'm in a range that's called um, adolescents and young adults, which is usually between the ages of 18 and 39 or 15 and 39. I can't quite remember. And so for us, the quality of life is something that is really important. And if your doctor isn't really thinking about that, that might be something that you want to bring up. Because of course, you want to be able to live a long and healthy life after cancer if you're able to. And so finding a doctor who respects that and is able to ask about that and understand that I think is very helpful. And then the other thing I would say to help maintain this attitude of positivity is a support group. I wasn't told about them until uh, after I reached remission. So it took me over a year to find out about them. Now there was a support group that I had learned about from a friend of mine who had also had cancer, but I didn't really look that much into it because I thought I was okay. I didn't think I needed it at the time. However, you know, this, this diagnosis is a lifelong thing. Even though you can reach remission, it doesn't mean that the effects on your body and on your mind disappear as well. And I think that's something that the general population doesn't really understand. And so um, joining a support group, whether it's for people with the same type of cancer as you or people in the same, the same age range as you is something that can be really helpful in um, invalidating the feelings that you're having and uh, just being able to get things off of your chest that you don't think other people would understand.
0: That's a great point you make, Carly. Those two points, actually. The first one I really love about Finding a doctor who really gets you. Um, I, I can really relate to that because I remember when I was going through, kind of my, um, through cancer and I had different treatment options and I had to really kind of weigh up what was going to work for me. And I was really lucky that I had the oncologist who kind of put those things into perspective for me, but also let me put me kind of in a place where I had to decide between different things and talk to different specialists. And at first, you know, uh, Kelly, it was overwhelming because I, I was like, like, who am I to make these kinds of decisions? <laughs> I'm no professional. But then again, you know, as I was going through this experience and I was kind of thinking about it and I was thinking of what's right for me and my way of life, I really found it's, it's such a, uh, not only a kind of a way that improves your quality of life, but really puts you in control. And that's part of what you're talking about, Right.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. I think that in the past, and then even some with even some patients today think that the doctors are the ones who are who are all knowing, so to speak. And that's not to undermine their profession at all. But at the end of the day, um, you are the patient and you know your body best. And so to have that relationship with your doctor, that is a two-way street rather than a one-way street where you take part in what type of treatment would best fit you. Of course, if there are options is really important. So for example, for me, I have the option of having one half of my thyroid removed. I had thyroid cancer Or um, both halves, because you can live with one half, just one half of your thyroid, which is something I didn't know. And my doctor gave me those options in order to preserve my quality of life because he took the time to get to know me as a patient and what my values were. And so, for people who have those types of options, and that's another thing, educate yourself about the different treatment options that are available to you so that. When you go into your appointment, you don't go in there um, empty-handed or blind, so to speak, as to what may be spoken to you by a doctor. You can say, I researched this. I think these might be the best options for me. I want to talk to you about them and come up with a solution as a team rather than you tell me this is what I have to do in order to feel the best that I can feel.
0: Yeah, exactly, and it's so um, it's so crucial to know that ideally ahead of time because you know oftentimes you just kind of feel like a um, you know rabbit in the headlights because you have no idea what's going on and you have no time to process any of that or to make decisions. And I'm, I'm I agree with you 100 percent on this idea of educating yourself because that gives you kind of the foundation or really what I think is one of the key pillars of kind of life you know, beyond cancer is kind of having control over your everyday reality of life. And that includes your treatment options. And that in- includes, you know, relationship with your medical team. And if you have someone who like, like you're saying is perhaps doesn't really get you, well, you, you gotta, gotta go find someone else and, and, or get a second opinion or get a referral. And I think, you know, to to touch on what you said earlier when you spoke about support groups, I think there is an incredible vehicle for, you know, supporting that side of it as well, of educating yourself but also getting it from the perspective of people who've been through it before. Um, Kali, I was lucky to stumble on the testicular cancer forum in my day when I was going through treatment. I was just searching for things online and I was lucky to find that you know a- incredible community of people who been kind of still been one of the rare cancers, but it's because it's an online community because people who get together, they know what it's like. They've been through the journey. So you can ask questions and I think that's true for pretty much you know, all types of cancers, no matter what stage or, or, or what type of you know treatments are available, people get together and people understand what you're going through. They can help you to give that perspective on the type of decision that you want to make. And I think when you really combine that, color, when you combine kind of, I think what those two directions that we've been talking about, right, is when you combine that perspective of you know getting uh, the right, you know, treatment from from your doctor and getting in the, you know aligned with them and then getting the support and advice from the you know, people on the support group I think that whether that's in person or online I mean that can go a long way to bringing those things together in a way that can really serve you in your time beyond cancer now Kelly, I want to now go back to because I think what this leads into What I feel really strongly about, and I know that you've been doing that as well, in terms of kind of sharing your story as well, because we've been talking about how to, right now we've been talking about how to really understand what's happening, how to get the lay of the land, so to speak, and realize, you know, what's been, how to really take back control of your life when you're dealing with cancer. Now, also, you know, the other perspective is sharing your your journey. And I know you've been doing that on social media. So talk to us, how did that come about, And how did that help you along the way?
1: I think social media has been very helpful uh, in terms of sharing your story because I think that's part of what social media is about, right? Is really showing who you are and what you are about. And now... Some people, um, some people may be very scared to, to share their story, especially with a diagnosis like this, on social media, because they don't know what other people are going to say. And I was the same way I was teetering on the idea about do I share this? Do I do I not? What are people going to say to me? Will will people be scared? Will they reach out? Uh, So I just went ahead and did it. I posted about it on Instagram and Facebook, and people were very kind and they were very helpful and i was I was really uh, I was really appreciative of the comments that I received across social media from fen- from friends and family and I think there's a whole other world of of social media when you have a disease like this because there are different uh, hashtags you can follow and different support groups you can join on social media, specifically Facebook and Instagram, that really create a community of people that, of course, some of them you may not know but you're still able to read their stories and connect with them and that way. And so I think that's, I think that's really special. Um, And then on Twitter, I have found that there are a lot of patient advocates, as well as patient advocate organizations, uh, national organizations, such as the NIH, the CDC here in the United States, that talk about Different health issues, and there's a large uh, medical presence in terms of doctors and nurses on Twitter as well. And so, you're, if you want to share your story there, you can also use specific hashtags. You can follow doctors that uh, specialize in treating the type of disease, and you can learn about the different research that's going on. And so there are a lot of ways to not only share your story, but immerse yourself in the community if you so choose to. But just know that if you want to, that there are people out there who will support you and it's up to you and how much you want to share. There's nothing that is off limits or on limits. Whatever you feel comfortable sharing is what is perfect.
0: That's a great point you make, Alan. I'm so glad that you you're talking about social media and those even specific platforms. Because I, I think it can be off-putting sometimes, or at least it was for me, because I felt uh, maybe this was just the way that I was exposed to some of some of the social media is that I, I can sometimes felt that there is this uh, th- this tendency to kind of only have this perfect life or look at me, I'm having so much fun and I'm having this great life. And we're talking about a whole different perspective, right? We're talking about a whole different Area of it where what you're saying is it's really people is about sharing your story in a way that is authentic and real to you, so that people who know you can really get to understand what's going on in your world. But also looking about well connecting with people who are actually going through this experience and reading their stories. And what's more, you can also really connect with essentially evidence-based you know medicine and professionals, who you know kind of really as a way to get knowledge about your disease, about your treatments, about kind of living beyond cancer. So uh, I think that's that's really powerful, Kali, and I'm really glad that we kind of dived into that. What do you think if, when we kind of switch from more, more mode of online and kind of in-person kind of people around you, right? Like in terms of your friends and your family who are like maybe your part of your life in person... What was what was that like? Did you find those conversations easy? Was it a little bit awkward? Did they support you in the way that you wanted to be supported?
1: You know, I th- I think that when you are diagnosed with something like this, you find out really quickly who are your true friends and those who are not because Some people you will be very surprised and who wants to help and then you'll be surprised in some people who you thought were close to you and they don't speak up. But I don't think I would place any blame against them because with a cancer diagnosis, it is very hard to understand what to say if you need to say anything at all because some people are very private about it while some people are very open about it. And so it's hard to understand the types of questions to ask and um, how you can be of help. But I think the best thing to do and the best thing to say is rather than say, I'm sorry, say something along the lines of this, you know, I am sorry, but how can I help you? What are your needs? And I am here to listen with no judgment, because at the end of the day, all anybody ever wants is, especially with a cancer diagnosis, is to be heard and, and understood and not to feel like they're a burden and not to feel like they're not being heard by, you know, just another person of the medical community, because sometimes our message doesn't get across when we're talking to our doctors. And that can be very frustrating. And so to have a person to go to, whether it's a friend, a family member, or even a caregiver who listens, you know, with with no judgment, and with a lot of empathy can be very helpful, because we, we need that we're in a vulnerable state. And uh, a lot of things are happening. And mentally and physically. And we're trying to get everything under control. And just to be able to talk about it to somebody can be very helpful. And, uh, you know, if there if there is somebody who is willing to, to listen, take that opportunity to just kind of vent and explain what's happening, explain what's going on and it's not going to be the easiest thing it's not going to come out all pretty and perfect it's going to be very messy but that's okay because i think that's the beauty of our range of feelings and the beauty of of empathy that one is able to provide and so i think if you're willing to share your story be open be as open as you want to with the people around you who are willing to listen and let them help.
0: So true, And <laughs> I realized that you're much more kind and forgiving than I am because I was pretty caught up for <laughs> the, the some people in my life who really didn't um, support me kind of in the way that I wanted to be supported. So I think it's, it's what you're saying is so true on both ends of the spectrum is on one hand is kind of finding a way to, to talk about it but on the other way is like it's coming at it from a perspective of saying not just oh i'm sorry but like how can i help how, how can i help you today or how can i do something for you and i'm here to listen and it's so much more it's kind of really active it's not just taking a step back and saying whoops like that's crazy but instead of coming in and 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 being you know really stepping up in a real way that makes it easy for someone who's going through cancer to, to really accept help and to talk about their struggle. And I think that's especially true for kind of younger people, would you say? Because it's um, I feel like I've been talking to you know, thousands of people going through cancer from all over the world and different cancers in different stages. And I kind of feel... We're talking about, you know, getting support from, you know, from, from all sorts of people in their life. And I feel like all the like people, um, they, they, they probably get more support because I guess people around them are used to people getting sick. And this is how it is. Like it's, they used to, you know, they've been through life, they've seen things and and you kind of get to the reality that sometimes people can get, you know, heart disease or get cancer or whatever. And so they are much more in tune about what is the right thing to do? What is the right thing to say? And I think that younger people may not be in that place. Do you think that's true?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think there is kind of a lack of, I guess, knowledge about our this age range, because I think a lot of research is focused on but like you said, the older population, because as you as you get older, the chances of getting cancer are more likely for some people. And and then there are children who also get cancer. And so where I'm in the age range of, you know, from teens to young adults that, you know, where patients like me in my age range, they really don't take a second look or have a second thought about their health. And I think that needs to be changed. And I think it takes to know somebody like me with a diagnosis that anything can happen and you just don't know. And so as a result, I think I have been advocating for people my age to get their annual physicals, to go to their to their dental cleanings twice a year because something may show up, you may not know it, and you may not have any symptoms just like I did, but that doesn't mean that there isn't anything going on. And so be an advocate for for your own health, ask the questions. Don't wait until something is really wrong or something is really bad and you have to go to the emergency room for it. And then it ends up being something that you didn't expect. If something is, you know, I'm not asking you to be a hypochondriac, but at the same <laughs> time, at the same time, I want you to be able to to speak up about something that is bothering you, whether it's something physically or something mentally.
0: Yeah, exactly, Kali. <laughs> I gotta say, I would highly recommend people to be hypochondriacs because I think it's a heck of a lot better than being on the other end of, of the spectrum where you are, frankly speaking, oblivious to what's going on around your health. I think there's a part of me that's always been a hypochondriac. And I remember when I, when I stood in the shower one night and I found this big lump on my testicle, I'm so glad that I ran to the doctor the next day. I didn't see there going well, maybe it will just go away. Maybe it's nothing. I was like, something's really wrong and I got to get that checked out. So I'm really glad to hear that, you know, you're really are, you know, advocating for, really for looking out for yourself and your health, right?
1: Mm, yes. I mean, your health is the most important thing and it's something that is going to carry you through the rest of your life. And so your mind and your body are the most important things that you can take care of and if you can then then why not and there are people out there to help you you don't have to do it alone of course and so take the opportunity to to get to know your doctors and you know just take the time to learn about your body
0: yeah absolutely Kali. and i know that uh, there's probably you know a little bit of disparity in terms of the information that is out there because when you look at things like kind of more common cancers like breast cancer and prostate cancer there's so much information out there about it so many support groups so much visibility i guess which is fantastic right which is that's awesome i i totally love that but when it comes to i guess rare cancers that really doesn't get as much attention as 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 it should what's your perspective around that
1: oh yes absolutely um i'm a big advocate for rare cancers because mine is one as well thyroid cancer is a rare cancer And I I do find that there are a ton of websites and information and research that are dedicated to the cancers that are diagnosed more frequently, such as breast, prostate, lung, cancers like that, whereas cancers like yours and mine, they're very rarely talked about. And so it is very frustrating to, um, to find that. But it's not like there isn't any information out there. You just have to be a little bit more diligent in finding the information that you want. And I think that's where support groups and social media come in. Because if you can't find the answer to it, like through a Google search, or through, I guess, like a a website that is for an organization that's dedicated to research on your cancer, If you have a specific question about such as like a symptom, you can go into these support groups, you can go on social media, and you can ask the people who have this diagnosis about it and ask about their experience. So for example, my doctor really didn't talk to me much about hair loss, but um, the thyroid can play a role, which I did not know about. And I didn't have chemotherapy, which um, one of the symptoms of that or the side effects rather is is hair loss. And so I thought to myself, I said, you know, well, I didn't have this. So what is happening? And so I went to my Facebook support group and I said, has anybody else experienced this or is it just me so that I know what to tell my doctor? Um, And a lot of people have said, yes, I have experienced the same thing. And so from that, number one, I knew I wasn't alone. And number two, I felt a little bit better asking my doctor about it because it might be something common that they hear. And so, um, you know, there might not be the most, I guess, a plethora of information about, about your diagnosis. There, there are resources that, can't, that you can use, And you just have to be a little bit, I guess, a little bit more investigative when it comes to learning about your disease, which is, which is, I guess, can be a pain, but it's not the end of the world. There are people who will help you. And um, I think that's where your doctor comes in as well. If you have a good relationship with your doctor, which you should, and if you if you don't, then it's perfectly fine, like you said, to get a second opinion, or even to go to a new doctor who does understand you, then uh, if you have that relationship, ask your doctor these types of questions, because these are the people who have studied this and who may know and if they can't find the answer, if they don't know the answers, then Maybe they can ask one of their colleagues so that they can find the answer for you. So there is a vast amount of information out there. It's just a matter of finding the right people and getting to the right answer when you need it.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Kali. And listen, what if you imagine if you were starting today and you were, let's say, a young adult who got diagnosed with cancer and uh, what would be your go-to social media strategy like if if you are in that place like what would you do which platforms would you go what would you post what kind of would you how would you find hashtags what would you do
1: so i guess this is how i did it for myself so i posted about it on on instagram because i mean that's where you that's where you share pictures of yourself mainly and that's where you can use the hashtags how up there and there are ad, there are patient advocacy organizations, there are great advocates on Instagram. but what I have found to be the most helpful for me is the support groups on Facebook, which there are plenty for every type of disease. And if there isn't one, you can always form one on your own. And Twitter, I think has also been very helpful. And it's very easy on Twitter to find people within your disease community, um, simply by using different hashtags. So there's a website that I learned about while I was in graduate school studying health communication. And it's called Simpler. And it's spelled S as in Sam, Y, M as in Mary, P as in Paul, L-U-R. And that's where you can go to find different hashtags that are trending on Twitter. And you can type in a topic and it will pull up the most commonly used hashtags for that topic. And so for thyroid cancer, one of the most commonly used hashtags is THYCA. So that's T-H-Y-C-A. That's an organization here in the United States that is dedicated to thyroid cancer, but it also stands for thyroid cancer, THYCA. And so I found that a lot of patient advocates who specialize in advocating for thyroid cancer use that hashtag and the doctors um, who uh, treat thyroid cancer who are called endocrinologists, they use that hashtag as well. There are a lot of other different hashtags that you can use and find, I mean, anything can really be a hashtag if you think about it. But if you focus on keywords, and the healthcare industry, like patient empowerment, or patient advocacy, or cancer talk, things like that, I think you would be able to find something that you would relate to. And if you can't find it via hashtag, you can probably search Twitter just with general terms. So if you're searching for, I guess, for example, thyroid cancer, it will come up with people who I think it, I think the way that it works is that they have it in their bio or something like that. And that's how you can find advocates, that's how you can find organizations, that's how you can find medical professionals who specialize in that. And I think it's kind of, I think it is hard to navigate just a little bit. But if you, I think if you do, I guess, kind of some sleuthing around, you would be able to find something that that fits you. And not every, you don't have to use every uh, social media tool at your expense, because it can be a lot to handle and a lot to follow. So finding the one that is most comfortable for you is really important. And there are also different audiences on these different platforms, right? So on Facebook, I think the older crowd has tended to go to Facebook and stay on Facebook. With Instagram, it's more of the younger community. And with Twitter, it's it's everybody. It's everybody from from my age, the adolescents and young adults to the older community, because there are medical professionals on there. And so it really depends on who your audience is and what type of content you're looking for. And what type of information you want to share that you should really base your social media tool preference on.
0: That's great advice, Kali. And what if someone wanted to find out more about you and your world? What would they do?
1: Sure. Um, so I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. I'm at my first name last name, so Carly Flumer. And ma- the majority of my advocacy work is on Twitter. That's where I tweet a lot about patient advocacy um, and my own personal work. I'm also on LinkedIn, where I publish all of my publications um, in the cancer community as well as all of my podcasts. And then I'm also on Facebook, but I really use that for support groups.
0: Thanks so much, Kali. Thank you so much for being here and just love what you do.
1: Thank you so much. It was a great time.
0: Hey, my friend, this is Joe Bakmutsky, host of the Simplify Cancer podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in because I know that this is a especially crazy time for all of us. And if you're struggling a little bit right now with the lockdown, with the COVID-19 pandemic, then I I, I urge you to check out my 14-day lockdown challenge: How to stay sane, steady, and strong in the time of pandemic. You know, each day I'm sharing what I've really learned from cancer about dealing with isolation, with worry and fear. And each day we're gonna tackle a different topic. So if that sounds interesting to you, then go to 14day, that's one for 14daylockdownchallenge.com. Also, if you're a cancer patient who's going through, you know, potential cancer treatment right now, then I urge you to go to simplifycancer.com and check out some of the free tools that I've created to kind of help you out along the way. If you go to simplifycancer.com to the tools section, you're going to find out the outcome map which is shows you how to really work through specific worries like a milestone like like a checkup or maybe some specific symptoms that you've got like an ache or a pain and got to figure out what to do next. It's a really simple tool that can help you to really work through that. There's also online community guide which is how to really find the top three online communities for most cancer, so you can really check in with people who've been through it before, like connect with them, ask questions. They're going to be there for you because they know exactly what it's like, you know, what to expect from treatment and beyond. Also, I've got a PDF called your first oncologist visit checklist, and here I've got all the questions that you want to be asking your specialist. So you can just print it out and take it with you. There's room to make notes. And also make sure that you can kind of prompt the conversation and make sure that you really don't forget. The other thing I've got for you is the testicular cancer support kit. Oh, I've done a whole bunch of videos for you on the things that you can really, you know, find out about dealing with testicular cancer from the perspective of someone who's been through it. This is not medical advice. This is just from my personal experience of dealing with cancer, things that, questions that you might have about fertility, about having sex, all of that sort of stuff, like how does it feel, different kinds of things that can help you and guide you along the way and hopefully make your journey easier. So check that out as well. And speaking of my experience, you might also want to check out (laughs) Simplify Cancer. Man's Guide to Navigating the Everyday Reality of Cancer. This is the book that I wrote talking about the four main challenges that all of us guys must overcome we're dealing with cancer. If you're interested in seeing what that's all about, go to simplifycancer.com. The links are pretty much everywhere on the website. And you know, I'll tell you more about it. Other than that, thanks so much for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time.